welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast with Robin from Modern Day Misses. Hopefully this is a place where you can receive knowledge, support and understanding when trying to conceive and surviving infertility. Hopefully this is a light in the darkness of this difficult time, a place where you don't feel alone and most importantly, a place where you can feel like a strong and beautiful warrior on your fertility roller coaster. Hopefully I'm the person that's here holding your hand and supporting you emotionally through what is a very physically invasive uh, and traumatic time in your life, this fertility roller coaster that many of us go on. This is episode one and I thought the best place to start would be with my own fertility journey. So here goes. My husband and I had just turned 30 or he's born in December so he was actually 29 at the time. I am a cradle snatcher uh, and we had just gone on a round the world trip. We spent five weeks traveling the world. We spent most of our time in Europe and we had Christmas in Paris and we went all around Germany, we went to Switzerland, we went to Italy, all sorts of places and we went, visited all the Christmas markets. It was awesome and then we travelled to the United States and we had New Year's Eve in New York. What a fantastic trip. And we got back and uh, we decided that, yep, the time was right. We were married, we had a house together and we'd you know, sort of been living life and done everything that we wanted to do. And so many of us, I think, think that everything's going to be okay and that we can definitely tick everything off our bucket list and then start trying. And we wait you know, until we're at 30 and then we hit 30 and the biological clock starts ticking. Um, so I was having a look at naturopaths because I had wanted to go see one for a long time and I'm a bit of a wellness warrior on the side and I stumbled across a naturopath who specializes in fertility. So I went to see her and I thought the time was right so why don't I start a preconception plan and can I tell you I was pretty smug and if you've read my wedding story on the blog you will see that when I'm smug things never go my way. So I think feel like I've learned my lesson now so I definitely try not to be smug and I try not to judge other people as well because it always goes pear-shaped but at this point in time I was pretty smug and I thought I'm going to do this preconception plan this you know elimination diet take all the right herbs make sure I'm doing everything right and I'm going to fall pregnant straight away and so during this time we went on an elimination diet and we were told you know I needed to give up gluten I needed to give up dairy coffee soy alcohol, all of the bad things or things that could potentially impact my fertility. So I went on this three-month crash course doing this. I said to the naturopath though flat out because at the time I was a vegetarian, I said, well, I eat so much dairy, I don't think that that's going to happen. And so I did everything else but the dairy and I took all the supplements, I was exercising four times a week and I was tracking my cycle using my basal body temperature and checking my cervical mucus and all of that, those things and tracking it. Um, for, and for anyone who doesn't know, um, what you do is you when you track your basal body temperature, what you're doing is tracking your resting temperature at the same time every day. And ideally that is when you first wake up in the morning and you don't really want to get out of bed because you still want your body to be resting. Uh, and what you can see is after you ovulate is a sustained rise. So if you do that for several months, then you start to work out a pattern of when that sustained rise is and you know that a few days before that, 
is most likely when you ovulate um, and we all know that or many of us know that sperm takes sometimes a couple of days to get to the egg so you are you want to time it all right so that it gets to the egg right at the right time uh, and you check your cervical mucus as well and the time when your cervical mucus goes to egg whites that's a pretty good clue as well as to when you're ovulating. So I was doing everything right. I figured out that I pretty much ovulate on day 13 uh, and we were really excited. Um, you know, it was right about the time that Fifty Shades of Grey came out. So I wasn't quite as kinky as they are in the book, but, you know, I certainly got the sexy underwear and things like that. And we started trying, but then nothing happened. So I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, mo the majority of people don't fall pregnant on the uh, on the first month. So I thought we'll try again. And I was convinced that definitely within three months I would fall pregnant. And it kind of deflates you when you think that you've done everything right, you've been tracking it all, and it just doesn't happen. And then the next month it doesn't happen. And then the next month it doesn't happen. And all of my friends had, or most of my best friends had had babies, you know, the year before. And so all of them were doing it. And I was happy to be on my own path. But there comes a certain point where you just feel surrounded. And when it's when making babies is on your mind, it's on your mind. And when you've spent already, you know, three or four months tracking your cycles and things like that, every day taking your temperature, it starts to become obsessive and I'm sure that many of you feel the same way as well that you just can't switch off your brain and when it becomes about disappointment that's really hard. I went out to breakfast with a friend um, while I was you know sort of trying on our own. Nobody knew of course my parents didn't have any grandchildren so they were getting antsy they wanted grandchildren and everybody was asking us the question because Ross and I are high school sweethearts so you know we'd been together a really long time we had our house they knew that we'd ticked all these boxes um, but we were trying on our own and one of my friends announced that she was having her third baby and she was pregnant so you know uh I kind of quizzed her without trying to let on that we were trying and she said to me that she'd bought these um, little sticks that you get, you pee on a stick on this thing from eBay and that will tell you when you're ovulating. And I was like, sweet, then I don't have to bloody check my temperature every single morning. So as you can imagine, I bought a ton of those and you could get pregnancy tests as well and it just kind of feeds this obsession of, you know, wanting to fall pregnant and wanting to know, know if you're pregnant or not. And so as you can imagine, I went through those so quickly nothing was working and I still wasn't pregnant and I was talking to my naturopath and she didn't know why I wasn't pregnant either. That was really hard. Um, and I just remember, you know, taking these pregnancy tests and when, you know, you think to yourself, oh, it takes a week. Oh yeah, but maybe I'm not pregnant. Maybe it hasn't implanted just yet. And you're Googling, you're trying to find all this information. You're so thirsty. And then you think, Maybe it just hasn't happened now. So you check again the next day and you check it again the next day. And then you finally come to a point where you think, okay, no, nah, you know, I've got my period. It's definitely not happening. Uh, and it's devastating. Like it's really devastating. And I remember that I would be sitting on the toilet floor crying because it hurt. And sometimes your husband's 
can't understand that feeling because they're not the person who is constantly tracking their ovulation and taking the prenatal supplements and things like that. For them, it's, you know, a couple of rolls in the hay and they're done and they're probably enjoying this kind of frisky uh, new you. But pretty soon, it just becomes really upsetting and sex is not really the same and it just hurts and nobody knows about it. You just can't share this journey with anyone. Um, so that was sort of our story and I was, my naturopath couldn't understand it either and we got to nine months of trying plus three months of this um, preconception plan and uh, we were like, no, this isn't right. So And it takes a few months to get into the fertility clinics. Um, so I went to the doctors and I discovered that actually you can just get a few simple tests done by your doctor but because we'd been trying for so long already and because it takes a few months to get into the fertility clinic she gave us the referral uh, and we booked ourselves in and so we went to the doctors and we had some tests and I can't really say that uh, throughout our journey we've ever really received a red flag and I think this is actually true for many of us and we go to these fertility clinics and we expect that they will pinpoint for us exactly what the problem is and actually for many of us I think it's a combination of a lot of little things that never really you know have this kind of shining aha moment of this is why we can't conceive. So Ross had a, a fairly high level of DNA fragmentation in his sperm um, and you can imagine the sperm is the smallest cell in your body so that DNA of your sperm is packed and packed and packed and packed really tinily into these little sperm. And my husband's a bricklayer, so he is sweating a lot outside. He is running his body to the ground and he's, you know, really pushing it um, to a hard, hard level every day. And in the heat in Perth, in Western Australia, where I'm from, it gets really, really hot in summer. And our appointment at the fertility clinic was, I still remember it now, it was Valentine's Day. How's that timing? Uh, so we went there and we had the tests. The doctor, you know, uh, said, felt my stomach and things like that. He got Ross to drop his dax and had a quick feel there as well. Um, and we had this DNA fragmentation, but they also discovered that Ross is missing a few chromosomes. Uh, the long story short is that they thought that the chromosomes didn't really mean anything uh, and they retested his DNA fragmentation, which by this time, uh, it was about May, uh, showed nothing. In the meantime, I'd had a tracking cycle, uh, which pulled up nothing. Uh, and then I'd had two ovulation inductions. So those were with the classic Clomid and not, not because they... Uh, found anything wrong with me or my ovulation but just because they wanted to give it a bit of a boost uh, and one of those cycles was cancelled because they'd magically grown three big eggs so we didn't want triplets there um, and nothing happened so we went we had our May appointment uh, and they were like nah we're going to take it up a level uh, and so we tried intrauterine insemination which is basically they get the sperm they give it a bit of a wash um, to weed out the dodgy ones and then they make sure they give you the drugs to make sure your ovulation is happening properly and then they just insert the sperm in so sometimes you might have hostile cervical mucus um, and I've heard that a lot of people who have been together for a very long time it's almost like the woman um, has like an immunity to the man's sperm or the body attacks it so we definitely thought that that could be a viable thing turns out 
possibly that it isn't, but that's fine. But they put the sperm in there so the sperm doesn't have to swim very far. It's already been washed. It doesn't have to traverse the grounds of hostile cervical mucus. Um, and we did two of those, but nothing. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't have success with intrauterine insemination. Uh, and we might wonder why are they doing this to us? But I think wherever possible, you want to let natural selection take its place and intrauterine insemination is a lot less invasive and it's a lot cheaper than an IVF cycle. So for those of us who do have success, I definitely think that that's worthwhile trying. But that didn't work for us. So the next step for us was IVF and it was at this point that we were offered a mandatory counselling session and an information evening. By this time, I kind of feel though you've already Googled a lot. You already know what goes on with IVF by this point and you already know what the process is. And so there might be a few light bulb moments in the information session, but certainly nothing that I learned there was really rocket science. And the counsellor that I had, I certainly appreciated the gesture, but she was about 65 and she had never been through infertility herself. So she was telling me things like, keep busy, you know, go for a walk, find what, you know, works for you. And that was really great. I mean, there might be some people who didn't know that, but I was a bit like, sister, I've already been through months of devastation on my own. I have already found out, you know, a lot of coping techniques uh, and things like that. And I really feel like I could have benefited from the counselling session a lot earlier. So that was fine. I had that counselling session uh, and I guess one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about helping other women with infertility is because of that. I really feel like we need that emotional support in addition to physical support. We want to hear from other people who have been on this journey and who are in our situation. We want to hear positive stories uh, from other people that it's worked, that it's going to be okay, that you will survive, that the doctors are looking after you and that any medical complications that you have will be looked after. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about helping others on their fertility roller coaster because it really is. It's highs, it's lows, it's a lot of lows. Uh, and really, you know, my belief is that we need to trust the doctors to take care of the physical side, but we really need to nurture our emotional side and our wellness. Um, so we had that and at the time we went to started going to the fertility clinic in February and March was when we started telling people. So we started telling our parents and we started I started telling work because obviously the number of appointments would ramp up and I would need time off. And oh man, was I nervous telling people. I was so nervous telling my work because you just don't know how they're going to handle it. I was nervous telling our parents um, and really nervous telling my friends because they'd all had children and I don't even know why but when I told my best girlfriends I didn't even feel like I could look them in the eye I just kind of looked down at the table at breakfast one moment and blurted it out while I started crying and I definitely feel like the pros of telling people outweigh the cons and I can talk about that another time but it was like a weight off my shoulders I didn't have to keep this secret anymore I had an excuse if I didn't want to go places uh, and finally the secret was out and everyone was really supportive even if people who don't understand infertility ask you know dumb questions every now and then uh, and so we started IVF and my first retrieval uh, went pretty well 
uh, except as per usual, the medications, I was only on 25 milligrams, so I was like on the lowest dose uh, and my body still went bananas on the medications. So just before they put me under, they the lab technician said, just so you know, we might cancel your cycle. And five seconds later, I was out. And so I woke up and the reason why they were potentially cancelling my cycle was just because there were too many eggs there and I was at risk of uh, OHSS, so ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Only 3% of people get it uh, and I ended up with a moderate case of it. So when they put the eggs back in, they decided that no, I probably was okay. I probably had a little bit uh, of a mild case, but I was going to be fine. And of course, I'm always going to say, yes, I want those eggs put in. I'm desperate for a baby here. The desperation of an infertile woman you know, is incomparable. I want those eggs. I want that baby. Just give it to me. Don't care. I know OHSS isn't a permanent thing and that it'll go away at some point. Um, so, of course, I was going to say yes, and it wasn't that bad at the time. Uh, and we had the eggs uh, put back in, I think, on the 22nd of December. Uh, and it was the 20th of December, my husband's birthday, that I had my retrieval. And it was New Year's Eve that I woke up just feeling like death. I, You know, I was already feeling bloated and I was trying to drink all this Gatorade despite, you know, myself hating drinks like that. I was drinking all the Gatorade and the water and I was trying to drink coconut water and all sorts of things to keep myself hydrated. But I just woke up on New Year's Eve feeling like death warmed up. You know that feeling when you've got a hangover that you just feel like if I roll over, I'm going to spew. That's how I felt. But I had to go in for a blood test to the clinic and you have to do this first thing in the morning so it was pretty much exactly the opposite of what I wanted to do but I went in there and I could barely walk because by this time uh, not only was I feeling crook but my stomach was so stretched from all the liquid in it that I I couldn't stand up because I was so bloated so I kind of was hunched over walking into the clinic like the hunchback of Notre Dame and I just walked up to reception I was like I just need to see a nurse. They were so nice to me, honestly. I think everyone uh, in that situation, all of the staff are always so understanding and so patient, even if they don't understand because they've not been in that situation. They are really lovely people. And they took me in and they said that they would schedule an appointment for a doctor to see me uh, at 11 a.m. So I had my blood test and I went back at 11 a.m. and turned out that I was pregnant which was kind of awesome. It was a bit of a relief. And they said, that's one of the reasons why you're feeling so nauseous. Uh, And they gave me a prescription for the morning sickness or the sickness that I was feeling. And the doctor did an ultrasound. um, And he said he could see all this fluid in my abdominal cavity. Uh, And I don't know how I found out, but it turned out I had about seven kilos of fluid in my abdominal cavity. My stomach was pretty much like right up near my heart because there was all this fluid that had leaked out of my body and you know I was panty I couldn't breathe properly because my lungs were so squashed and you know it was a pretty crappy place to be I couldn't sleep very well because I was so uncomfortable I pretty much had a hundred pillows around me I don't think I've ever really felt sicker in my life and the doctor wanted to admit me to hospital because I was so dehydrated even though I was drinking liters and liters of water and Gatorade every day but I'd read stories online and when they people go into hospital you know 
they you know they'll open you up and drain the fluid out but the fluid just keeps coming back and you just have to keep sitting on a drip and I thought well if all you're going to do is dehydrate me I can just sit and continue drinking water myself at home so that's what I did I chose to go home um and the you know it, it did go down and we all know that it goes down and that was fine um and I kept going in for my blood tests and things like that and it was around the uh, middle of January that they said oh, your levels aren't really increasing at the rate they're supposed to we just want to alert you that it's you know we'll do a few more blood tests but things aren't exactly what they're supposed to be so that was fine um and it kind of you know occurred to me that this might not work out and I remember I was sleeping in the spare room because I still had so much swelling in my belly and I needed sort of all those pillows around me I needed like this you know set up uh, and I just remember crying my eyes out I'd been pretty strong on my fertility journey so far but this was getting really tough for me and I just cried and I said to Ross you know I've been so good so far I can handle infertility and I'm here I'm handling ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome I'm doing this but I just can't handle a third thing and I was crying I just was like no I can't I can't handle a miscarriage as well I just can't and it turned out though that I had to because that basically what happened was that it didn't work so one day I got my blood test results and they told me to come in the next day and speak with one of the specialists because it wasn't a viable pregnancy um, so they said that I could wait but my progesterone levels one of the reasons why I was feeling so sick was they were like 4,000 more than 20 times um, what they should be in a pregnancy um, and progesterone is one of the things that keeps your body to a degree thinking that it's pregnant so my body wouldn't naturally miscarry this baby until I was about three or uh, four months along and by that time it'd be big and I would need to go into hospital for a DNC because um, you know probably wouldn't come out so uh, they recommended a medical miscarriage which is basically um, the only difference between a medical miscarriage and an abortion at this early stage of pregnancy is I guess the intent of whether the person wanted the baby or didn't want the baby um, and whether or not the baby was alive or not um, and that broke me I had to have the same pills as someone having an abortion but I really didn't want an abortion and all I could think of was I've just spent two heartbreaking years uh, of my life um, having a miscarriage no way that was crap um, that was heartbreaking and I you know you think to yourself but what if and I said to the doctor what if this you know is okay and he just looked at me plain in the eyes and he said we are not in this is abortions and miscarriages are not our business we're in the business of helping people get pregnant so let me assure you that this is not the outcome that we want either uh, and we would not do this if we weren't sure and I trusted that and I still do I think there's a huge benefit to trusting your medical professionals um, and so I did that and I took the drugs uh, and I felt really crappy there was one point when I was like oh my god these drugs something's wrong I, 
I was had such hot sweats that the whole bed underneath me was saturated. I felt nauseous at the same time. I had an ill stomach. Uh, I could barely walk because I was so dizzy and I was getting like blackouts and things like that as I, you know, kept going to the toilet with these cramps of my body um, expelling it. So two pills is what I had to take and one pill um, starts contractions to get it all out and the other pill uh, releases whatever's there from the uterine lining. Um, so that's what I had and I felt pretty crappy uh, and I called the hospital. I was like, this isn't right. I don't, I don't know what's going on and they were like, babe, that's the medications. Give it until one o'clock and if you don't feel better by one o'clock, then give us another call and we'll get you to come in. Uh, and pretty much at 12.30, like it, the, the wave passed over and that was how I felt. And I'd been pretty open about my journey up until that point, but oh, the miscarriage broke me. I don't think I've ever felt emotionally lower in my life ever. And I just, there was just a certain point where I just didn't want to tell anyone. We told our parents, but we didn't tell anyone. We didn't tell like our brothers and sisters. We didn't tell our friends or anyone. Uh, and I was just heartbroken, truly just broken. And I, you know, I wanted to walk around bursting into tears all the time, but I had to continue on. I took a couple of days off work and then I went back and acted like nothing had happened, as you do. Uh, and just this was a closed chapter in my life for a while. And eventually people, I started to tell people and open up and let people know uh, and things like that. Um, and we went on a last-minute holiday to Lombok, which was one of the best things I ever did, and I really recommend self-care. And I kind of went into self-care or self-preservation mode, uh, and it's one of the things that has made me so strong today. We went on a trip to Lombok, which is in Indonesia, and we stayed somewhere which was the middle of nowhere. It was just one tiny resort. There were only five guests in total, which included my husband and I, so only three other guests, uh, and two other people joined later. So that was a total of seven guests, uh, and it was a surf resort. So my husband went surfing, and I just stayed by the pool read my books, had massages uh, and had cocktails all day long and just that peace and quiet and the ability to rest and look after myself was incredible. But you can't just do one thing. You can't. You need to have a whole army of self-care and a whole suite of self-care to really get out from that funk. And I was in such a funk. I was, you know, at the lowest point of my life. Um, and I'd read about affirmations previously, but this is when it really kicked into high gear. And I just started saying, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna survive this. I can do this. I am stronger than this. And I just kept saying that. And I looked at myself in the mirror when I was getting ready for work. And I said, I truly and deeply love and accept myself right now. I used to sit in the shower and I would say it. I used to drive to work and I would say it out loud over and over and over again. And the first time you say stuff like this, you think, what the hell? I'm talking to myself. I'm saying these stupid phrases. What an idiot. And the second time you say it and it gets a bit easier. And the third time you say it, it gets a bit easier. But I was determined. I was like, I can do this. I will survive this. I am stronger than this. I truly and deeply love and accept myself right now. And I kept saying it. And I, you know, kept saying these affirmations. I started a gratitude journal. So I would write every day three things in life that I was grateful for. And it really, all of those things, all of these little things, I started with my cousin, something called March Massage, where 
every year now, this we've had it three years now, we go and we have a massage together. Totally blissed out, expensive massage, and we do that once a year, and it's awesome. So I, you know, started doing all these little bits of self care, uh, and we had another IVF cycle. We had two eggs left, and it failed. Uh, but this time around, you know, even though I'd been through the miscarriage, even though I'd had hyperstimulation, I, something about it, I just felt so much more confident this time around, and so much better equipped to deal with the failure. Uh, that you experience when you go through fertility treatments. So that, so as I said, that failed, uh, and we then had another IVF cycle. Uh, so this required another retrieval. Ah oh, man, and I was scared that this time around, I, I would get hyperstimulation again. You freak out! I've had this once. I've never felt felt so crappy in my life before. Uh, but the fertility specialist assured me that he would change the medications and that it'd be all right. So I still had a bazillion eggs, something like 39 eggs um, growing inside me at this time. And you can feel it sometimes when you have that many eggs. You can feel them in your stomach like a little bit of a, almost like a hard kind of mass. Uh, and so I went in for my hyper, for my retrieval and they were able to get a whole bunch of eggs and this time we had ICSI because on the first cycle we only had three fertilized eggs and I'm guessing that the reason why they put two eggs in the second time was because they weren't really thrilled with them even though they were a good quality they hadn't really multiplied very well so we did ICSI this time and we had a heap more fertilized I think we had nine eggs fertilized and they put one egg back in and I didn't get hyperstimulation which was amazing uh, and we had five more that made it to the freezer. So a couple of couple didn't make it. Um, but it turns out that this time I was pregnant, the pregnancy worked, and I now have a baby Chloe. Um, so I think it's really nice to be able to hear stories that it works. I can't guarantee that it will work for everyone because it just doesn't work that way. But for a lot of us, fertility treatments will work. So I think you need those positive stories but regardless of whether it works or not, when you're on these journeys, I just think it's so important to have support, to find community uh, and to really feel like you're not alone. So that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about sharing my story, sharing my tips, getting experts to share their tips with people and really helping people feel supported on their journey. You know, we will always be uh, a couple with infertility that's just who we are uh, and that's part of our lives um, and we've been through that so I just feel like I want to support all my sisters out there who are doing the same thing uh, and we are just about to embark on fertility treatments again so we'll use the eggs that we have in the freezer first and after that I don't know we'll see whether or not we have another retrieval or not I think we'll just take it one day at a time um, but fingers crossed that all goes well for us so that's my journey. So thank you all for listening to the first of the Fertility Warriors podcast. I know that I was thirsty for information and thirsty to hear the stories of others and to receive information, to find a community of people in the same situation as me. So I really encourage you, if you're going through a bit of a fertility roller coaster, which you probably are if you're listening to this podcast, to join the tribe at Modern Day Misses, head to moderndaymisses.com. That's Modern Day Misses, M-I-S-S-U-S, uh, and join the tribe. 
and also join our closed Facebook group where nobody can see your Facebook posts. So you can get tips and tricks. You can also vent uh, and share your story with other fertility warriors just like you. Our, our Facebook group is called Fertility Warriors Support and Chat Group. There's a few groups around, but I assure you this one uh, is the best because I'm going to be bringing you um, Q&A sessions. There's themes for every day of the week. Look for the coral colour or the orangey pink colour uh, or you can follow the link on the website. Uh, and if you'd like to share your story, which I really encourage you to do so, it's great to get it off your chest. Uh, it's great to um, share with others and you know we all know how much we appreciate hearing stories of other people. Um, then please reach out to me via my website. We all find comfort in it. So even if you can help just one other person on their journey, I really think it's worthwhile. Thank you for listening to the first episode uh, and see you next time. And if you want to know a little bit more about my story uh, in depth, it's a little bit hard to discuss sometimes on a podcast, um, then you can buy my book. It's called Screw Infertility and it's available on Amazon. You can buy it either as an ebook or you can buy it as a soft cover book and that's a really good way to hear a little bit more about my story in detail, some of the emotions and also some of the lessons that I learned on my fertility roller coaster.